Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, I'll go ahead and read and then pray for our time. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Well, this is God's word. Uh, please pray with me as I ask for his blessing on it tonight. Father, we come before you um, as people who are struggling. We might not struggle with the same things that the people who originally received this letter did, but we struggle just the same with uh, just difficult schedules, with hard things, with friendships that have problems, with family dynamics that are difficult. We struggle with fear of the future, with anxiety, with sadness. We struggle in all kinds of ways, God. And I pray that you would help us with your word tonight. Help us with a good word, with an encouraging word. As we read this passage, Lord, let it fill our souls with joy. Help us, uh, let, it, let it feed our souls. Help us to get good um, nourishment for our hearts, encouragement, and, and hope. I pray that you would feed us with this word, that your spirit would, become, uh, would come among us and would open our hearts, open our eyes and ears to hear what you have for us. I pray also for myself, Lord, that you would be here and equip me and prepare me and enable me to, to say these things uh, about your word that are true and good and helpful. Lord, let it be clear as well. I pray that you would bless us this evening, God, as we look at your word. In your son's name I pray. Amen. I want to suggest to y'all tonight that, that what we love, that what you love, what people love changes them. What you love changes you. What we love changes us. Whatever it is that you love, it's going to have an impact in your life. Like, it's going to change something about your life, right? You'll, you'll think about whatever that thing is more often than other things. You'll devote emotional energy and free time towards it. You'll get excited about it. You might even, like, have a desire in your hearts to tell other people about it, to share with other people. Uh, there's a great example of this right now uh, going around on the Internet. Someone you might have heard of him. His name is Tariq. Uh, but y'all probably, if you've heard of him, you probably know him as Corn Kid. Um, and this guy loves corn. Man, he freaking loves that stuff. He loves corn. There's this, you know, uh, Instagram account that interviews, like, little kids. And this kid, all he wants to talk about was corn. It is, it has changed him. Um, he, ever since he was told that corn was real, to him it tasted good. And when he tried it with butter, everything changed. He loves it. He loves it so much that he eats it all the time. He tells people about it, but you know it's okay if they don't like it. But it's corn. He loves it. His love for corn is about changing his life and the lives of other people who he is blessed with the knowledge of corn. Um, if you haven't, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if that just didn't make any sense, look up Corn Kid. It's really sweet and hilarious. 
Um, we've been talking about building our lives around something. Like y'all are in college at a point in your lives where you are you're in the process of establishing routines and rhythms, building sort of the framework of, of things that you believe and are committed to that you will sort of carry with you for the rest of your lives. And so we're asking the question, okay, if that's true, if that's where y'all are at, what is it that we should be building our lives on? What is it that we should be building our lives around? What truths should we be like committing ourselves to? Um, we've been talking specifically about that, that Jesus is the right person that we should be building our lives around. He's the one that we should commit ourselves to. And so it raises the question, what does it look like in the lives of Christians for people who love God? What does it look like to actually do that? What does it look like to change? What does it look like for you to be building your life more around Jesus than you did before? What does it look like in the life of a Christian for, for someone to grow or to change? And what I want you all to see from this passage is this. That because God is at work in us, that you and I can rest in the work that Jesus is doing in our lives. We can rest in Jesus' work in us. And there are two kind of aspects, and I'm going to use the construction metaphor because that's what the passage uses. There are two aspects of Jesus' work I want to highlight, I want to focus on from this passage. One is that, that Jesus is our foundation. The second is that Jesus is our builder. We're going to handle the second one first. So, so first, Jesus is our builder. Secondly, Jesus is our foundation. So first off, Jesus is our builder. The author is writing, continuing his argument from the previous two chapters. Right, The first chapter, he, made, he was making this argument that, that Jesus, relating to God through Jesus, is better and more like helpful than relating to God through angels. And you and I might be like, well, duh. Um, of course, that's true. But it was a live question for these Hebrews. Um, and he was saying, no, Jesus is better than any other way that you might try to relate to God. Jesus is better than anything. And now he addresses Moses. He's going to, from this moment forward, he's going to kind of go through some of the different um, sort of archetypal figures in the Old Testament who related to God in direct and interesting ways. And who the Hebrews basically were being tempted, hey, maybe we should just like try to, in ourselves, try very hard to be like them. And maybe that will be enough for us to relate to God. And what what the author is saying is that, no, Jesus is better. Relating to God by the way, through Jesus, by the way of Jesus, is better, it's safer, it's, it's, it's more helpful, and it's actually a real way to relate to God, because the other things have passed away. Um, he addresses Moses. Moses was a guy in the Old Testament who was a prophet. He, uh, he, he revealed things about God to the people. He was, he was a true you know, servant of God. He brought the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. He, he brought the law to them. He led Israel out of Egypt into uh, the wilderness and then into the promised land. He saved uh, God's people. like He was the person that God used to bring them out of slavery. Um, and so the law that Moses gave is the law that uh, some people in this time were looking at and saying, okay, the way that we relate to God, the way that we can be right with God is by just being perfect at following this law being perfect at following the rules and regulations that Moses gave us. And so there's, there's a strategic reason why he's saying, no, Jesus is better than Moses. Um, the Hebrew Christians were tempted to trust in and act as if this, this law that Moses gave them was better than relating to God through Jesus. right? But, you can follow his argument, if Jesus is better than Moses, then relating to God through the means of Jesus is better than merely trying to follow the law. Jesus, right, the, the author says, 
you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him, who appointed him. He's saying things about Jesus here. He's saying Jesus is apostle. He's the apostle and high priest. Um, we might kind of just brush right by that, but that's, that's a very interesting pair of titles that he gives him. Apostle is just from the Greek word for messenger, but it could also take on a sort of meaning of like uh, official envoy or sort of like diplomat, ambassador, representative. He's, he's God's envoy. He's God's messenger to his people. An envoy is someone who, like, a, like when an ambassador goes to another country and meets with the, the head of state of that country, he's someone who represents his home country. Like dealing with him is as if they were dealing with the entire home country. So when Jesus is an, an apostle, for him to be an apostle to us, when he comes to us, he is acting as a representative of God to us that, that actually took on human flesh and could uh, enter into our world. Um, high priest is the interceder, is a person in the Old Testament where um, once a year that he could enter the, the place in the temple where God dwelled and uh, represent God's people to God. And so it's really interesting. He's, he's both God's representative to us as well as our representative before God. Like when God, when we look to God, like Jesus is the thing that we see. Jesus is the person that we see. But when God looks to us, when he looks upon us, in sort of a legal representative sense, Jesus is the person that he sees. Jesus is what God sees. Um, and so all this is background to the argument, right? Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses is worthy of. Because Jesus is, uh, you know, just like the builder of a house is more worthy of glory than the house itself. Right? There's some truth, like, we, we kind of get that. Like, the artist who paints a masterpiece, we're like, oh man, that, that's amazing, such creativity, such talent. You did such a good job. Like, you wouldn't say to the painting, like, great work painting yourself. That's not, that would be ludicrous. Um, we would not think in those terms. The builder of the house, the person who's designed it, the person who's meticulously planned it out, they are the ones who are worthy of praise. Um, right? This implies also that Moses, who God used as an instrument to help build up the people of God, was also... Another part of God's people. He was a part of God's house. He was just another piece of brick, another wooden beam in the house of God. Because even though Moses, right, he led the people out of Egypt, he gave them the law, but he was just a part of it. He was just a part of the house. Moses loved God, and he pointed people to God, but he was just a man. He was just a guy. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And it goes on to explain that. It says, for every builder, every house is built by something. Uh, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Um, right? Isn't that interesting? That, that it, it's, it's um, right, Moses, who, who did a lot for the household of God, is regarded as, as, as a servant, as a part, as a piece of the masonry in this metaphor. But Jesus is the builder of the house. He is the one who is actually building up God's people. And, and what that implies is that Jesus is God. So part of what the author is saying is that Jesus is better than Moses because Moses is just some guy, and Jesus is God himself, God incarnate, God dwelling among us. And so for the Hebrews, for the people this letter was written to, to forsake Jesus and to say, well, we're just going to go with the law that Moses gave us, 
to ignore Jesus and to go back to relating to God the way that um, they thought that Moses did was to essentially to reject God because Jesus is God, to reject Jesus. Um, it also says that, that as Jesus is building up the house of God, like in the metaphor, Moses is, is, is part of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house, so therefore he's worthy of glory. Um, it says later that, that we are his house. In verse 6, we are his house, present tense, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. God's house. It says that we are his house, that the builder of this house is Jesus, right? Like this metaphor is, it, 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 again, there's some limitations to it, right? God doesn't need a house. He is not constrained by time or space. He is all-powerful, um, infinitely beautiful and, and wise and glorious and good. He doesn't need a sort of metaphysical, metaphorical house to live in. But, but it, the metaphor is such because, like, us being God's house means that God dwells with us, that God lives in his house, that God is near to us. It's a metaphor describing the nearness of God to us. We, everyone who believes in Jesus, everyone who is one of God's people, who, who calls themselves a Christian, those people are God's dwelling place. Jesus is the builder of that house, the builder of that dwelling place in his roles of apostle slash messenger, revealing God to us, revealing truths about God to us, but also the builder in his role of high priest, intercessor, standing between God and us so that when God looks upon us, he sees the goodness and perfection and glory of Jesus. God builds us into his house and he comes to us and makes us to be his house. He comes to dwell with us. Which is actually, if you think about it, is the opposite of the way that people typically think about God. It's the opposite way that people typically think about spirituality or finding meaning in life. Because the way that the world and the way that I'm tempted to think about worship, finding meaning in life, whatever you want to call it, is that you have to go find your own way. That you got to go and, and build your own house. you got to go make your own way in the world. Whatever works for you, and if, if you can go out there and find it, if you can go on a journey and, and explore and uncover a place where you can be, this is all like metaphorical, by the way, like it's fine to go on journeys and, and explore the outdoors, but no, like, like mentally, spiritually, we think that we have to go out and, and explore and find a place. And whatever works for you, wherever you find yourself, um, our culture says, that's your home, that's a good place for you. Whatever works for you. You, you, you build your own house. Um, it's like in, in Moana at the very end um, of the movie. Moana, uh, if y'all haven't seen it, is a really great movie. I love it. Um, but Moana is, is a Disney princess who there is a problem on the ocean. And she lives in a sort of Pacific Island uh, fantasy world. And there's, a, there's this darkness that's creeping around. And after a long you know, story of journeying and exploring and struggling and fighting, like she's able to fix things and put things right. And everything goes back to normal and everything's good in the oceans again. She puts the heart of Tafiti back. The oceans are freed from darkness. And the next thing, if y'all remember the movie, that they do is they go out exploring. Like as soon as like evil is conquered and vanquished and like everything's saved, they're like, all right, let's go explore. <laughs> Let's go sail on a journey to find new places to explore and live, a new home. And as it ends, like the movie implies that they're just kind of going to endlessly explore. They, they pretty much say as much in the lyrics of the closing song. And 
I think that, like, I think that it's a, it's a lovely story. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But what I am saying is that I think sometimes we feel like that is our lot in life. To endlessly look for the next thing. The thing that we feel like is going to make us feel whole. Whether that is, you know, it might be money. It might think, we might think to ourselves, man, if I could just um, sort of organize my life and be smart enough with my money and get the right jobs, the right internships to, that will lead me to the right jobs, then, then I'll be okay and, and I can rest. But the truth is it's, it's not enough. It's never enough. And we keep going on and on and on in search of meaning for ourselves. Or it might look like you know, looking for different spiritual experiences, looking for uh, emotional highs, thinking if I can just feel a certain way that I remember that I have in the past, I can feel like I'm close to God, and then, and then that will kind of like be my home. And the, the pressure in all of those scenarios is on you to find your own way and to build your own house. A lot of people live that way, right? Like, you know, go and make a journey, go out there and explore, and maybe you will find rest. Maybe you will make it. If you try hard enough, you will make it, and you'll find rest. Romans 10 is another uh, letter in the Bible. Um, Romans 10 says this, The righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? Or who will descend into the abyss? Do not ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 6 through 9. What the Bible is saying, the startling thing that the Bible is saying, is that God comes and makes his dwelling place among you, with you. And he builds you to be his house. Like, not that he needs a roof over his head, but, but to, to image the, the closeness and nearness of God to us. For God's people, that is what he does. Like, you don't have to go out and hunt it down. You don't have to go out and look for it and sort of, sort of explore through uh, jungles and wilderness to try to find this, like, this one place where there's truth and goodness. No, God has made it very apparent to you. He has come to you to make his home with you. And so if this is true, the first thing that we should do is to do what this passage commands us to do. It says in, in verse uh, 1, Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Um, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Like, meditate upon him. Think about who he is and what he has done for you. Think about who Jesus is, the claims that he has made, and the mind-blowing fact that if Jesus is who he has said he is, then he's the infinite, eternal God who put on human flesh to die for you and me. To suffer for you and me, like we talked about last week. Look to him as he is the one who builds your life. Right? Even when you're choosing to follow him, Moses made choice after choice to pursue God, to follow God, to honor God in everything that he did. But even when you're choosing to follow him, faithfully obeying the commands of God, relying upon his grace, consider Jesus how he's providing for you and how he's building you into the house of God. On the flip side, like even when you're struggling, when you feel far from God, when you feel like, man, like I, I'm, I'm really struggling with this sin or I'm having hard times and you might feel in your heart like God might not be close to you. Look at Jesus. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then no matter what your perception of the world around you is like, then God is near to you. You are the dwelling place of God. And Jesus is caring for you, providing for you, and building you up into 
the parts, the pieces of the house that God wants you to be. Another application is that, that you can't compare yourself to others. If our spiritual life is Christians, right, if it was based on our effort, if what this passage was saying was, hey, go out there and like, build yourself a house for God to live in. Go out there and be the kind of people that God wants to be around. Um, just, just try harder. If that's what this passage was saying, then there maybe could be some, some appropriate ways to compare ourselves to each other. But that's not what the passage says. The passage says is that Jesus is the builder of all things, that God is the builder of all things, and that we are his house. We are the bricks and mortar. We are the beams. We are the roofing uh, tiles. We are the, 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 the wooden sidings. We, we are the pieces of the house. We are the house of God, and he is the one who is building us. And if that's true, then, then you cannot compare yourself to others, right? Um, since God has come to us, we cannot compare. You are where God has met you, even tonight. Even if you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, like I think what the Bible is saying that is that you are where God wants you to be. And I think that's very encouraging. Um, you might say, "I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I feel like God wants me to be. I feel like I need to move. I feel like I need to change." And if that's where you're at, like I want to encourage you. You actually couldn't feel that way unless God was moving in your heart. Like that means that that is a sign that God is at work building you and changing you, that you are in progress, that you are not finished, that God has not abandoned you, but he is at work even now, right? He is at work moving you towards where he wants you to be. Consider Jesus. Other points of application, like consider him with act, like activity, actively. Read God's word. Jesus says in John 15, if you love me, obey my commands. Like, pay attention to the moral teachings of Scripture, not because we think that it will make us uh, acceptable before God or make God like us more, but because it's just a healthier way to live. This is what Jesus said, right? If you love me, you will obey my commands. And, And the truth is, the only reason that we can stand before God, the only reason that we would even be considered to be made into the household of God is because of Jesus he is the one at work building you into the house of God. right? But that's not the only thing that we see in this passage. So the first point was Jesus is our builder. He's at work building us into God's household. Secondly, Jesus is our foundation. There's another comparison between Moses and Jesus in this passage. Verse 5, it says that Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And that's a key difference. The union of the three roles that kind of we've talked about, of, of Jesus as the apostle, the messenger of God, the high priest, the one who intercedes and, and represents God's people before God, those, those are combined in the person of God's son. We've seen the use of the metaphor of the building of the house, but like, if we're honest with ourselves, um, if we like take a real hard look at our lives, I think that you and I would realize, like, man, why, why would God wants to dwell with me why would god like condescend to live and dwell with someone who has failed as much as i have who who is as broken as i am right we are poor materials we are poor bricks poor quality um but jesus who has been counted worthy of glory he's also faithful over god's house as a son and he serves as a high priest for us. And what that means is that because he loves us, because he is our priest, 
then that, that, that sort of transfers his perfect credentials to us. And then when God looks upon us, he regards us as holy. In the Old Testament, right, like I said earlier, the high, the high priest was the one person who got to go in and be where God was once a year to represent the people of God before God and to make atonement for their sins. You know, when they, when they sinned, when they broke the law, God is perfectly and wholly just. And so there had to be something to handle, to take care of that so that God could be with his people. Uh, but the combination of roles here is amazing. High priest and son, heir to the throne of the universe and to the kingdom of God, but also the one who represents and makes atonement for the sins of the people of God. Right? So, or you could say in these terms that Jesus is both the builder of God's house, but he's also its foundation. He's also the thing on which the entire thing rests. Like if we are God's house, the only reason that we can stand up straight is because Jesus is being a solid foundation for us. It's the only reason that we can fulfill that role to be the household of God. Um, He is the builder of the house and the foundation. It's only on his foundation, the foundation of the perfect life and perfect sacrifice of Jesus, that you and I could hope to stand as the house of God. And what this means is that in Christ, our standing before God is perfectly and unchangeably secure. Our standing before God has already been decided. Right, like at the cross, a legal judgment was issued. Like Jesus was arrested, he went to the cross. On the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not just him saying, God, why are you letting me die on the cross? God's justice for every sin of his people was poured out at that moment in time. It was poured out on Jesus Christ. And he received it all because he loves us. So that if you believe in him... You will not perish, but you'll have eternal life. And because every single sin, every single time that you have broken uh, something, every single time that you have hurt someone else, every single time that you've been cruel, every single single time that you have uh, been, been failed, everything that makes you feel shameful or guilty or dirty, Jesus died on the cross for that. And the guilt of that is washed away from you, and you don't carry it anymore. It's gone. This is the reason that Hebrews, at a different point, he calls uh, Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? It means that, that Christians are secure and safe in Jesus. That because he has accomplished salvation, he has earned for us the status of being God's people. He has earned that for us. It's not something that we can kind of, that, that like goes in and out of being true. No, it is, it is a fact because Jesus did it. Um, that another th- way to think about it is that when God looks at us, when God thinks about us, for those of you that believe in Jesus, he looks at you, as it were, he looks at you through Jesus-colored glasses, you could say. And the love of Christ that he has for his son is extended to you because you are his people. God never regards us except through those Jesus-colored glasses. That's what it means to be saved, to be regarded as accepted and loved as Jesus has been accepted and loved because Jesus has given his perfect record to us. That's what it means that he is the foundation. Um, I know a, a pastor, it's kind of like this. I, I know a pastor um, who tells me, told me the story. When he was in college, um, him and a couple of his college friends were gifted um, a set of VIP passes to the master's. Sunday at the Masters. 
Um, it was a gift. He was a college you know, kid. His family didn't have any connections. Like He had no right to those passes. But they were gifted to him by this, this older guy he, I guess he knew at his church. And they went everywhere that day. When they got to the Masters, they went and looked at uh, all of the sites. They went to all the different tents, to the clubhouses, and all the different cabins. They, they just went everywhere. They crossed all sorts of ropes and sort of barriers that kind of kept the, the common people out. Um, he, he told me like how he, he met Tiger Woods. He like shook hands with a number of other famous golfers. Right? But he's a college student. He's like dressed in cargo shorts and a t-shirt. Um, and so at every place that they went, one of the attendants there would come up to them and say, hey, like, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't think that you're supposed to be here. And what this guy, what this pastor would say is, you know, he would just smile and he would just show them his VIP passes. And every single time the workers would just say, oh, I'm so sorry. I hope that you have a wonderful day. He had privilege and access to things that he otherwise never would have because someone gifted him the credentials that got him in, because someone gave those things to him, like as a gift, right? He didn't own those credentials. He couldn't earn them. Like I know families, there are families that are on the waiting list for like years at a time just to spend thousands of dollars to get like just a, a regular pass. And he had a VIP pass. There was no way that he could have gotten it on his own. But because he was given those credentials, he had access to everything. He was treated like royalty, basically. This is a picture of what Jesus does for us. Right? We cannot earn entry to God's kingdom on our own. We cannot be earn the right to be regarded as sons and daughters of God. We cannot earn the status of being the household of God. But if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him, like, like it said in Romans earlier, if you believe with your mouth, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like if you if you believe in Him, those are the credentials that that God, that God gives you, the right to be called sons and daughters of God, the right to be His house, the right for Him to come and dwell with you, right? That's the, that's the the credentials that Jesus gives you, right? And so if this is if this is true, we are His house. If in verse six it says we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence. And our boasting in our hope. Hold fast your confidence in Jesus. Boast in the hope that he has given you. I think what this most clearly looks like in, in the metaphor of a foundation is to hold the confidence that God has given you, to boast in the hope that he has made available to you. Is if, if there is a foundation that God has provided for you, then what you're supposed to do is to stand on it. To stand on the foundation of Christ. To trust it. To sit on it and to rest upon it. To live like it is true that God has accepted you in Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I think about all this stuff. Like, I would invite you, like, consider that thing that, that, that it's said in Romans. You know, believe in your heart and, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's it. It's simple. Hold fast your confidence in Jesus. When you are in hard times, ask yourself, what is most true about me? Am I lost and alone in the world? Or is Christ my firm and solid foundation and is Jesus working through these situations to do something I might not understand? Or when times are good, ask yourself, like when things are going really well, ask yourself, you know, am I my circumstances? Is my well-being tied up in the good things that God is giving me right now? Or is Christ your foundation and is Jesus working through the good things and gifts of God in ways that you might understand but you might not?
Boast in the hope that you've been given in Christ. These two things, right? Holding fast our confession, holding fast our confidence, and boasting in our hope, it basically looked like, like I said, standing on a foundation, standing on solid ground. For us, that ground is what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It's what Jesus has already done. So, so we can boil it down to this. Believe that Jesus is God and that he has opened the way into God's house for you. By doing this, by resting upon it, he is at work building you to be the people that he wants you to be. Let's pray.